From the sea of holes, it's the IGN DigiGuys. Please welcome two guys who don't look bluish. It's Wade Major and Mark Kaiser. That's right, we don't look bluish. Mark. Yes, sir. Uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman. Tragedy, complete tragedy. And, uh, you know, I was, uh, I work in, at, at an entertainment cable company, and people around the halls were talking about how he, he was in, he was in recovery. Yeah. And he left rehab too soon. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a tragedy. It's, it's senseless. And I tell you, you know, they, they found like 70 bags of heroin in the it's apartment un- he was in. It's unreal how I mean, much heroin they found. I mean, nobody has fallen off a wagon harder than he did. Uh, it's just, it's, it, it rivals Belushi and, uh, and all the other corpulent injectors, you know, uh, Chris Farley. I mean, it, it really does rival that. It's just unbelievable. Well, also, you know, you, when, you, when, you, when you look at the type of actor he was, yeah. you can see him having... The kind of personality who would just want to bury himself in altered states, because really he was so good that yeah. that's what he would do. Yeah, he really buried himself in the altered state of whatever character he was playing, and you can see how maybe he wanted to do that in his regular life. I just I get so tired of the the excuse though that that goes back you know centuries. I mean, it goes to Conan Doyle and to Edgar Allan Poe that somehow the artistic impulse is you know one that needs to be sometimes medicated and sated through you know uh, mind altering substances, and it's just it it, it it there's no reason why we need to lose these people. You know, he didn't need to be. A junkie to be a great actor, and he didn't want to be a junkie, by the no. way. No, you know, because he was clean and a great actor. Yeah, it's so just, it's, it's it's just awful. And it, it's it's, a shame. it's upsetting. But, it is uh, but, upsetting. But here's the thing, though. I mean, do we dare recommend a Philip Seymour Hoffman movie? I, you know, we can recommend movies. Go ahead. We were talking before the show about this, so well, by all means, let it fly. Well, obviously, he's done amazing work on screen, and I've seen him on Broadway, and he's. Unbelievable, but I have to say that the one movie that I went to YouTube because I didn't, I don't have the Blu-ray, because the movie as a whole is actually not that good. Yeah. But the one movie I thought of when he died that I wanted to see the two key scenes he was in is Charlie Wilson's War, Mike yeah. Nichols' Charlie Wilson's War. Mm-hmm. Now the movie does not come together as a whole. It has an amazing start, gets off to a great start, and then dies a slow ninety-minute death. True. But in the first half hour. He's got two scenes. And actually, I was with you in the screening room, and you could not stop laughing. That's true. He's got two scenes that are absolutely the most hilarious, priceless pieces of acting you will ever see. Mm -hmm. And when he died, I I don't know why, I was compelled to go to YouTube and look up those two scenes. I agree. with. I did the same thing. That that first scene in Charlie Wilson's War where he goes on his, his tirade about having to learn Finnish, and uh, that's just... It's and then the way, the way he... The way, Tom Hanks was in his office, yeah. and he kept getting interrupted. And then Philip Seymour Hoffman, he, he knows he's got to leave the room. Now you go, okay. Yeah. You just go, okay, and get up and leave. And then you come back, and you go, got it. <laughs> get up and leave again. No, his, his instincts. I mean, I put him among the top ten character actors of all time. I do. I mean, right up there with Lon Chaney and Daniel Day-Lewis and... Uh, Paul Dooley. Dustin Hoffman. You know, and I mean, there, there's, a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a compendium. There's a kind of a pantheon is the better word. There's a pantheon of great character actors, and uh, he's, he's right in there, you know, definitely among the top ten of all time. And uh, it's just a, it's a, you know, Charles Lawton would have been another one. He's and, also pretty young to have that 
accomplished a body of work. He made 50 films in 20 years. Yeah. 50 films in 20 years. I mean, it's extraordinary. I, I, I also, you know, when I first noticed him, of course, was Boogie Nights. Boogie Nights is when I think a lot of people were like, that guy has real chops. Because he took a relatively minor character in that movie. And especially in the scene, you know, he's, that, he's, you know, he, he's, he's a guy who's just kind of very shy and he's gay. And he's, and he's got this latent attraction to, uh, to Mark Wahlberg's character. That scene where he's sitting in the car and he's going, stupid, 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 and he's pounding his head on the, on the, uh, on the steering wheel, that's like the, the most jarring moment because in just a character that is, is thinly sketched in the movie, you suddenly empathize with to an enormous degree all because of the performance. It's extraordinary. It's just breathtaking. I agree. So yeah. uh, I would say, and happiness? Remember happiness? Oh, jeez. Oh, my, oh, God, my so gosh. Intense. That's so disturbing. <laughs> Deeply, deeply disturbing. Yes, it is. Yeah. He was great. And we're, there's a lot of great movies that are going to be made in the future that without him, yeah. that would have been better with him. But and, it's, uh, it's just you a know, waste. The Master was really uh, quite, a, quite a... I mean, obviously, it's not the last film that we will see of his. He had a couple of films at Sundance. But look, you know, Hunger Games, he, was, he, he didn't finish. Uh, they're obviously going to have to do something there to, to make sure that that's uh, adjusted. And, and uh, he's got a week left. He's, yeah, he, he had a week, a week left. left. But, uh, but he was. They were also casting a film that he was going to direct. Right. I know. You know. And uh, now that's not going to happen. I mean, it's just it's. And I saw the one. The one he did direct, Jacko's Boating. I saw a screening of that, and he was there with a, doing a Q and A. He's got chops. He's got chops. He had chops. It's. I mean, it's tried, and it's why my my feelings are mixed on this because uh, I I find myself very at, really at odds. Um, it's very difficult for me to sympathize with you know the addictive personalities anymore. It really is. I mean, he he you know he was supposed to pick up his kids at school. He left three kids without a father. He left movie fans uh, hanging. He left, you know, work partners hanging, investors hanging. But that's how strong addiction is. I know. Addiction is that strong that you will leave your kids at school. You know. That's how evil it is. Who in this day and age, actually knowing what we know, thinks that they're going to stick a needle in their arm and it's going to be just like, well, I think I'll try it. I mean, heroin, once you try it, you're a junkie. That's it. First time, done. Your life is over. It, there's no turning around. It's not a thing that, well, I'll try it once or twice. No, it just, it's not, it's, it just isn't that kind of a drug. But we don't know, at least I don't know, when he started using and what state of mind he was in yeah. when he started using. I, what I, crowd I, he was running with when he started I, using. I, I would have thought that the death of Jimi Hendrix would have knocked some sense into an entire, you know, hundred years worth of generations. But apparently not. Apparently not. No, it's they'll always be criminals. They'll always be, uh, you know, dreadful, junkies. They'll always be alcoholics. Dreadful tragedy. Well, you know what? Let's let's uh, let's get burned on the DVD front. Um, a lot of great Philip Seymour Hoffman performances out there, and and you know he a, a relatively minor part in uh, the uh, the Big Lebowski. That's right. You know, I he mean, was so he, young there. He was so young in that film, and he just shines. He just shines. You know, you you, you look at that guy and you go. It's a nothing part, but he's, he's turned it into something special. Actually, no, here's a nothing part. He turned it into something special. I have three words for you. Along came Polly. Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. He's the best thing about that movie. <laughs> that movie. A movie with Ben Stiller and Jennifer Aniston, which is just turgid in every single facet of its being. I mean, it's just not funny. Ben Stiller's not funny. Jennifer Aniston is not funny. He, every time he walks on screen, he owns that movie. That's the only reason I've kept that on DVD is for two scenes of his where he comes in in tuxedo and he slips and he does the pratfall <laughs> and then where, he's playing, where, they're, where they're playing basketball. <laughs> I mean, that basketball scene, raining, 
bam, and he can't hit the, he can't, he can't make a decent shot to save his life. That is just brilliant. No, it's just best. genius. He's, it's he just, was out there. I'm so, I'm just so saddened. I feel so gypped, and uh, it's just wrong. Well, anyway, let me uh, let me roll really quickly through uh, some uh, a series of titles recently from Megahertz Networks. Oh, of- you know the the, the the optimal words there being really quickly. Yes. Well, we're going to do this. Megahertz Networks, of course, does uh, they bring a lot of amazing European television, mostly detective television from uh, non English language speaking countries, and uh, it's a real discovery. Yeah, I, I had no idea there was so much great stuff being done in uh, in other countries. Uh, this is a cop show from Australian television, by the way. It's called East West 101. Uh, got two sets of it right here. Uh, seasons two and three and, uh, on, on one set, and then uh, season one on the other. And, you know, it is, uh, it's, it's pretty gritty and it's pretty gnarly and uh, definitely worth watching. Uh, it's about a guy named Zane Malik, who is a major crime squad detective in Sydney. And the whole angle here is that he's a Muslim, right? It's more daring than anything that we have done. Post 9-11, a guy in a, in a Western country who's a Muslim and a detective. That's really fascinating stuff, you know? It's the kind of thing I would have hoped that they'd do on television with somebody like Tony Shalhoub. But no, he had to go and be, you know, uh, the, 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 the guy with OCD. Actually, there's a, there's a very famous episode of the show, and I, I saw the promo. You know what yeah. it said? Yeah. In order to catch a terrorist, yeah. he must yeah. become... A terrorist. Yes, yeah, thanks very much. I'm anyway. Here we go. There's a million of these things. Go, go, Okay, moving. So anyway, East West 101, really fine show. Uh, we've talked about Borgen before. Uh, <laughs> In you... order to catch a rapist, <laughs> he must become a rapist. Thank you. Oh, my God. Worst <laughs> running joke on this show. What is that? That's from a Magnum no, thing, it's, isn't no, it? No, no, no. Adam Carolla does this hilarious run. Should, should I do the run or not? But it's based on a Magnum thing. He was mocking Magnum, wasn't he? I, that, that, I don't remember that part, it was a Magnum it was, it's so mockery. funny. It was Corolla. Yeah, well, anyway. Uh, the Danish series Borgen, uh, which we've talked about uh, before. It's a, you know intense uh, political thing. It's a, a little bit like uh, House of Cards. Uh, although I think probably better than House of Cards, to be honest. Not necessarily better than the British, but I think it's better than the American one. Anyway, uh, the people who did the original The Killing. This is the third season in Borgen. We've talked about that before. Third season, just as good as the previous. To catch a burglar, he oh, must become a rapist. Uh, and uh, from French television, Dolmen. Uh, Dolmen is, uh, takes place in Brittany. And um, it is a... Uh, it, it, I, Dolmen is a bit of a peculiar show. I'm not sure that I'm a huge fan of it. But it's, uh, it remi- it's a little kind of uh, Twin Peaksy. At least it aspires to be a little Twin Peaksy. It's got kind of a strange uh, Celtic mystery angle to it. A little bit supernatural, a little X-Files-y. Um, not exactly my kind of show. I think the French do better when they don't try to stretch so much. But anyway, that's, uh, that's Dolman. You can go check that out uh, if that suits your fancy. We've also got Sebastian Bergman. Uh, Sebastian Bergman is uh, also a, it's an it's an okay show. Uh, Swedish actor Rolf Lasgard is really really good in it. Uh, he's a veteran actor that you've probably never seen before because all he's ever really done is television. Um, but uh, he also played Wallander in the original Wallander series. Really? You ever saw that? Uh, I think Wallander is better, but Sebastian Bergman uh, in the, in the cursed one, um, you know, worth it for his performance. Uh, the half brother is based on a Norwegian uh, mystery novel, and uh, it's, it's, a, it's a rather expansive uh, family saga. 
but um, it's it's it, it's a little drawn out, but I would say um, worth watching if you're familiar with the novel, which I was not, so I felt a little bit a uh, little bit off of the. Uh, off kilter with that one. Uh, real quickly, McGray, the original McGray. This is a uh, fantastic set uh, number nine. Some of the just great, great mystery stuff in McGray. Forget about the, the English language McGray. The original French language McGray is just first rate, absolutely great. Um, six DVDs for uh, set nine and some of the best uh, French language mystery you will ever see. Um, let's see, Spiral. Spirals here. Uh, this is Spiral Season 1 and Spiral Season 2. Four discs in each one. Uh, Spiral is a, um, was originally released uh, in France as um, a, a series called... Oh boy, I'm, not, I'm, I, I'm even going to struggle with my French to pronounce this. Engrenage. There you go. Anyway, uh, it's a Parisian cop thing. Uh, a little bit uh, like Law & Order. It's very, very gritty. It's um, been a huge hit all over the world, and uh, I think the acting is just absolutely first-rate. The, the, the writing, not quite so first-rate. Um, the last two things here is uh, Volume 1 of Blood on the Docks. Uh, Blood on the Docks is um, based on these novels by Graham Hurley. You ever heard of Graham Hurley? Oh, uh, that's Mr. and Mrs. Hurley's kid. Exactly. Apparently, I'm supposed to know who Graham Hurley was. Anyway, this takes place um, in, uh, in France. In uh, in Le Havre, and uh, it's it reminded me it's very kind of French connectiony. Uh, so I, I I got I got into the mood a little bit. Didn't watch all the episodes, but um, you know it seemed to be uh, decent enough. And then the last one here that I want to make uh, mention of is the uh, Detective Montalbano series. Huge huge series. Uh, they sent us just a, a ton of episodes, and um, it's about 24, 25 episodes worth. And I've been trying to work my way through them and um, you know what it's, it, it grows on you it grows on you a little bit slowly it kind of gets moving uh, I, it t- takes a while to sort of get accustomed to the characters and the setup and all of that stuff but um, the, um, the nuances of it as a detective show not bad pretty good so um, you know give it if you get into Detective Montalbano I'd say give it uh, a little bit of time give it like four or five episodes to really kind of let it work on you it's, uh, it's Italian of course if you didn't figure that out. And uh, Italian television sometimes isn't, doesn't really spark immediately, but it's well acted. Luca Zingaretti plays the, uh, the lead. And uh, I guess these are based also on books by an author by, by the name of Andrea Camilleri. I tried to find the books. Apparently they are not translated into English. So Detective Montalbano you will have to discover in Italian. And uh, that's it for the, uh, the uh, Megahertz Network's uh, releases. Well, the last couple of months, uh, definitely go and check out their uh, their website, which is at uh, shop.mhznetworks.org. Really, really great stuff. They've uh, they've found an incredible niche to kind of unearth all this great foreign, primarily non-English language, with the exception of you know a few things from the UK and, and Australia, but a lot of really great stuff that they've done. So I think it's a, a cool business model, Megahertz Networks. Really like those guys. Wade, you uh, do you devoted like half the show to Megahertz? Yeah, Networks? Yeah, well, you know what? It, it, we didn't. It, there was a lot released in December that we didn't get to. So, Mark, it is it is February. It, it is. It is Black History Month. Sure is. Which means that we now are going to be treated to a lot of DVDs about Black History, and a lot of uh, really kind of inane, uh, insufferable DVDs. Uh, about like you know black romantic comedies and see that's the lame part yeah. the lame the lame part is not the black history stuff because that's yeah. always fascinating but uh, the lame stuff is a lot of this African American targeted stuff which is just 
It's actually, you know what? I'm going to go on a limb here. It's kind of insulting. Yeah. There's really no reason why this stuff shouldn't be great, just like anything else would be great. Right. I don't know why. Stuff like she's still not our sister. I mean, I know it's Jack A, and everyone loves Jack A and whatnot, and it's all about the Walker sisters, and they're all living, living together in one house, but it's just so inane. I just not... It feels, like, just it, it feels like Tyler Perry opened up a hornet's nest that I, he wishes he probably could close off again. You know what? It, Morris Chestnut used to be the go-to guy to star in all of these. I know. I haven't seen him in a long time. Like Boys in the Hood, right? Morris Chestnut was in everything. And then what? Certain, nothing. Yeah, and then nothing. And they all have these titles like, uh, like you know, you know what she wants, and oh, he he ain't all that, and it's just oh, come on, seriously, just don't be so patronizing. Uh, the divorce is another one of them. Uh, the divorce isn't terrible, but it's it's only not terrible because Tatiana Ali is in it, and, and she's very appealing, and Don Lewis is in it, and she's very appealing. Um, but the, the, all of these things seem to be the brainchild of uh, people I've never heard of. This is otherwise known as Don B. Welch's The Divorce. It's like Tyler Perry spawned a whole classic people who think that they can have the possessory title now. I mean, who's Don B. Welch? Do you have any idea? Uh, that's Mr. and Mrs. Welch's case. Exactly. All right. Well, anyway. Now, this one is called Home Again, and this, this actually wasn't that bad because it's got a twist. Oh. It's a drama, okay. but it's about, it's about these, um, these there's a, this trio of strangers, and they all get deported back to uh, their native Jamaica. Oh, of course. And so they have to kind of survive on the streets of Jamaica. And they're, you know, one's from Toronto and one, a couple from America. And there's a British team. And so it's kind of interesting how they're sort of going back to their roots in Jamaica and right. how they try to survive on those mean streets. So there's definitely something in Home Again. I don't know that's all that great. It's definitely like a little too, like, exciting for its own good, like less character. Like maybe more character, less exciting would have been a little bit more mm. resonant. But still, uh, if you got to rent one of these movies that aren't very good, Home Again would be a, a, a one to consider. Well, there are a couple here that are... A l- one is a little better than average. The, the last letter uh, is, is okay. Uh, it's not terrible. Again, Tatiana Ali shows up in this. She's in all of them. But, uh, you know, some otherwise really good actors in this. Omari Hardwick's a good actor. Richard T. Jones, good actor. Lynn Whitfield, of course, is an, is an outstanding actor. Uh, so they kind of put the film on their backs and, and carry it along. It is otherwise a, uh, a kind of mediocre psychological thriller... Uh, about a couple who you know have a who, whose marriage isn't you know quite as stable as it could be in Little Whitfield is a little bit psycho as like a Norman Bates mom kind of character, uh, but uh, you know not that well written. But again, decently acted, and uh, if you can kind of put the uh, you know let, deal with the acting and just focus on that. Uh, then also, there's a couple of plays that were originally shown on the Up Network, which I guess stands for Uplifting. Yes, is that it does. Correct? Yes. There's a couple of those uh, that are on a double feature, and uh, they are, you know, filmed stage plays. They're not, like, staged stage plays. But anyway, um, one is To Love and to Cherish. The other is In Sickness and in Health. And, uh, you know, these are about the travails of being a, a black yuppie in relationships and career. A bluppy? A bluppy. And, you know, it's all right. Uh, um, two documentaries that are actually uh, well worth it. Uh, forget all these uh, scripted stuff. We have a Pride and Perseverance, the story of the Negro Leagues. The story of the Negro Leagues never stops being fascinating. It's a great story, and uh, these guys get into it with uh, all this, the story of the players from the Greys and the Monarchs and all those great old characters um, like Satchel Paige. And this is, they run through all of them. And some of the stuff you might have seen in um, Ken Burns' uh, baseball documentary. But still, if you don't want to watch all that... You can definitely check out Pride and Perseverance, narrated by Dave Winfield, uh, formerly of the Yankees and the uh, Padres. So uh, there you go. Really good stuff. Done by Major League Baseball. So they have a wealth of archival material. 
that nobody else has in order to get this thing looking great. So Pride and Perseverance, definitely good stuff. And then from the History Channel, we have, not definitive, but still kind of interesting, African-American leaders past and present. This is a look at um, uh, the life and career of uh, Frederick Douglass, Martin Luther King, uh, Malcolm X, Thurgood Marshall, and Barack Obama. So uh, it's pretty good. Again, more comprehensive, more comprehensive stuff is out there, but these are feature-length films, feature-length documentaries. It's over like you know four hours of stuff. Uh, all about Frederick Douglass, Martin Luther King, Malcolm X, Thurgood Marshall, and uh, President Obama. So uh, there you go. Check those two out. Those those are good. Uh, I got a couple here that I can, uh, one I can sort of recommend, Danny Glover in From Above. Danny Glover's just, you know, become kind of a a joke over the years. He's he's sort of really lost his... um, his luster, but you know this one's this one's not bad. It's uh, it's kind of uh, it's kind of schmaltzy. Who's the guy that wrote uh, that writes all the schmaltzy romance things? Oh, uh, Nicholas Sparks. Nicholas Sparks. It's very Nicholas Sparksy, um, but still, you know, Danny Glover is fine, and uh, it's it's a kind of a black and Native American uh, romance thing, and yeah, you know, some, some decent supporting actors, and then Danny Glover comes on to kind of show how everybody how it's done. Uh, Tantu Cardinal is is. Uh, you know, she's okay. She never became that, that thing that everybody expected her to. You know, Tantu Cardinal was supposed to be sort of this new, you know, she was like, like, like all the rage for a moment. Everybody thought she was going to be this hot young actress, and she's kind of become a straight-to-video actress. But anyway. And then there's also this thing called Mr. and Pete, uh, as long as we're on cross-cultural stories. A uh, little black kid, a little Korean kid, and uh, both from the projects. And uh, Jennifer Hudson plays the little black kid's mom. She's a junkie, and she's a, she's a mess. And you know, it's about how they have to survive without getting picked up by the um, the social services. They gotta be on their own. These two little kids lean on each other. Um, it's terribly stereotypical. Um, the actual full title of the film is The Inevitable Defeat of Mr. and Pete, but you're, you're going to find it everywhere is just Mr. and Pete. And that's even the way that they do the title on the box because they realize that The Inevitable Defeat of is just one of those big mouthfuls of a title. So if, you can't find, if, you, if you're looking for this alphabetically anywhere, you will not find it in the I section. You'll find it in the M section. Jennifer Hudson's very, very good. What really bugs me about this, Anthony Mackie, isn't he going to be like an Avenger now? Didn't Anthony yeah, Mackie he get... plays Black Falcon, I there think. There you go. That's it. Anthony Mackie, long overdue, great actor, terrific actor. He plays like the king, the kingpin, uh, drug pin, drug kingpin guy. <laughs> the in, drug pin. The drug pin. What? He plays the drug pin uh, in the uh, in the projects in the film, and he's very menacing. But I don't know how he got away with this. He basically put uses James Harden's look. James Harden, the NBA player, outstanding player. Remember, he used to be the Oklahoma City. Now he's with Houston. Uh, James Harden, yeah. big old beard, big old beard, right? He's oh got, yeah, he's that, got that guy. I know Mohawk. He has a beard, and, and like a big old kind of Osama bin Laden beard, right? Well, like Anthony Mackie has the the mohawk and the beard. Does he not realize that James Harden is like like has about eighty pounds on him and will just beat him to a pulp for you know, like making fun of him in this movie? I don't break. think he really cares that much. He probably doesn't. Uh, lastly, right? Wait on the uh, yes. Uh, yes. Black History Month. We have actually this is the best of the lot. This is uh, from PBS, the African Americans, many rivers to cross. It's really good. Really good. Really this good. is uh, great stuff. This is like this is like this seems like four hours. And it charts like five centuries of African-American yeah. history, starting yeah. with the uh, slave trade in Africa, all the way up to the amazing, uh, the amazing guy, like having like a black president. Yeah. Like who would have thought that 500 years True. ago, they're, you know, just uh, illiterate and slaves being carted from Africa, just with the greatest indignity in the history of mankind next to the Holocaust. And yet now in 2014, black president. And, you know, I've often pointed this out to people. Anyone who lives overseas in other countries, you know, it, it's interesting to me. 
having lived in France, that that uh, so many people overseas, even you know whatever. I mean, is, certainly the Germans were more excited about Obama initially than they are now. A lot of these guys. But what's interesting to me is how the, how the, his election was celebrated by a lot of European countries, who to this day would not elect anyone who wasn't white. I mean, can you imagine a Turk being elected as the uh, as the uh, the prime minister of, of Germany, or an Arab or an Algerian being elected as the, the president of France? Wouldn't happen. You know, a Pakistani being elected as the president as the uh, the prime minister of England wouldn't happen. Well, but don't forget too is that the Just world would not happen. But the world still looks at America as being the big dog. Exactly. Now, the big dog does it. Somehow it validates yeah. the idea. True. Maybe it'll trickle down. True. So um, I would highly recommend as would Wade. The African-Americans, Many Rivers to Cross. Absolutely. Yay. I highly, highly recommend it. Yay. And then, uh, you know what, Mark? Uh, we should talk for a moment about Blue Jasmine, uh, because uh, Kate Blanchett is looking like she is the odds-on favorite to win Best Actress. Unless. Unless this whole nonsense really kind of blows up again. And, and I hate to even touch on this, but we really have to if we're going to talk about the film. If you, you have followed the news, if you, unless you've been living in a, cage, a cave in Argentina, you realize that the 20-year-old allegations of sexual abuse by Woody Allen against his, his adopted daughter, uh, Dylan Farrell, ha, have uh, resurfaced. And this all resurfaced when they had the tribute, the career tribute at the Golden Globes, and uh, Ronan Farrell, formerly Satchel, uh, his adopted son, or well, his natural son, we thought until Mia Farrow started claiming that you know Frank, Frank Sinatra, Sinatra uh, fathered him. That'd be awesome. Um, he and Mia Farrow started tweeting all this negative stuff, and then next thing you know, the allegations are all over and open again. And then the guy who made the uh, Robert Weedy, who made the documentary about yes. Woody Allen for PBS, he wrote a thing for the Daily Beast saying, "Look, I got Woody's not defending himself. I got to straighten this out." big old long elaboration about the lie detector tests and the expert witnesses and they found him not guilty and Mia had, had probably coached her etc cetera, etc cetera. and then uh, just a day or two ago Dylan comes forth with an open letter through um, well it was it was the New York Times in the New York Times yes. but to to a columnist in the New York Times yeah it wasn't Seymour Hersh it was uh, the other he's, guy. he's a New Yorker it's the other it's basically guy. detailing all elaborately what happened with the she gave her a train set and sexually molested her and oh my gosh now we're just we're airing this stuff in public all over again 20 years after the fact and the thing is she called out everyone who had collaborated with Woody Allen for not condemning him including Kate Blanchett who was you know uh, approached at a recent awards show and she just said, look, I, I, it's a tragedy. I hope everybody can move beyond it. And at a certain point, I, my feeling is, you know what? It, it, this, is, this was buried by the officials 20 years ago. Okay? It was, you know, done, over. And if there's anything left to be done, take care of it in private, people. It's a horrible tragedy. But I don't need to be made a party to this. Well, there, you know? you know, there's still people who don't forgive Roman Polanski. True. And there are people who don't forgive Woody but, Allen. But the other thing about Woody Allen, you know, Roman Polanski was guilty. Woody was never found guilty. And he denies it to this day. And I believe, as we're speaking, he was going to be issuing an actual response to this finally. Uh, which he, he, he issued something. Leslie Dart, his publicist, issued something brief yesterday. Yeah. yeah. But uh, he is going to come out with a, a more elaborate statement yeah. himself. The the thing is, look, Blue Jasmine is a movie that stands on its own. I don't care. You know, Roman Polanski made a brilliant film in The Pianist. Did he? Did he? Whatever his past is, I'm. It's irrelevant to me. Uh, you know, I like the movie Powder, even though. Uh, what's his face who directed it? That's right. He was, uh, you know, was a convicted child molester. I, I, I'm sorry. I can judge the person and their work individually, and it's really unfair to drag Kate Blanchett into this. That being said, I think Blue Jasmine is one of Woody's most interesting and compelling films in years because it's the first film where that Upper East Side 
set that he usually makes the, the benign subject of a lot of sort of uh, joking and mockery, in the wake of the, of the financial collapse, he now seems to look at them very differently. And it's a much more acerbic eye, and this film has a lot more edge to it. And I was really surprised at just how edgy it really was. I agree. He lives in a bubble that I thought he would never escape. It, yeah. it wasn't only an Upper East Side bubble. It was this time bubble where like, yeah. he would do films literally as recently yep. as like three years ago yep. where people wouldn't, would like, try to find dates in the personal ads yeah. in the newspaper. In like 2010, he's making like he's never heard of like J Date or the internet. I yeah. mean, he's so in his not only financial bubble but his time bubble. Yeah. But now he's finally with Blue Jasmine. He's escaped that, and he's got a lot to say about it, and he's angry over it. Yeah. And I like that. It kind of it, it got him too. a little bit out of his. You felt like he had. You felt like he was motivated by something. He was driven to write this story. Two interesting points. Uh, the Academy Award nominees in the acting categories. Every single nominee in all the male categories. Uh, is in a film that's also nominated for Best Picture. All the nominees in the female categories are also Best Picture nominees, except for four. There are two from uh, August Osage County, you know, Julia Roberts and Meryl Streep, who both can get nominated just for, you know, staring at a camera, turn the, you know, take the lens cap off, even leave it on, they'll get nominated. And uh, Blue Jasmine has the other two, which is Kate uh, um, Blanchett and uh, Sally Hawkins. And I'm so happy for Sally Hawkins. I know it is. Nice surprise. Nice surprise. You know, and they need it. They play sisters, right? And it's it's great. And you know, considering that one is English and one is Australian, and they nail a certain American archetype. Alec Baldwin, how good is he in this? It's just that sleaze ball. Yeah, he, he, that wasn't my favorite role of his. He's fine. That I mean, would have been that's a, a that's role. a part that would have been played, you know, thirty years ago by uh, what's his name, the guy from Annie Hall, um, uh, Tony Roberts. Tony Roberts, right, that's right, true. right. Fuh, right. Blah, blah. So I'm. I hope Kate wins Best Actress. I a because she deserves it. B because it would mean that the whole Woody Allen, Dylan Farrow thing didn't really sway the vote. Yeah. And also because we have to kind of give Kate an actual award because when she won for The Aviator, yeah. it was like, come on. I know, I know. It's true. It was it was an impression of, of yeah it's true it's almost it, that was almost like Kate Hepburn's fifth Oscar I know I know <laughs> but you know what it is it's almost like they gave her that because a because she's like it's it's some tie to old Hollywood yeah but also that was the Academy's way of saying you, you you're in the club now we yeah. like you yeah Catherine Hepburn not only won four Oscars of her own but she inspired an Oscar for somebody who played her I know it's terrible Weird. she won four and a half Oscars uh, Dallas Buyers Club is on Blu-ray this is a Blu-ray a DVD and digital uh, ultraviolet copy. Uh, Matthew McConaughey <clears throat> was also up for an Oscar this movie is terrific and um, I think the reason why it's funny because I think the reason why this movie is resonating is because the character's not likable the guy's a total homophobe they don't they don't sugarcoat that. No. He's a rough guy. He doesn't like gays. The end. And if, if they're, you know, I, I once thought that uh, Bruce Dern had the edge on uh, winning Best Actor, but I got to tell you, there, there does seem to be a surge for Matthew McConaughey. Unless it's a 12 years a slave uh, run. Yeah, I, I, I don't see Chiwetel winning that. I, it doesn't feel like, like they're going to give it to him. It, they it, might give it to Matthew to say, we're glad you're back. And we're, we're, we're amazed that, that, you know, after all those horrible romantic comedies, you, you like, you're losing weight, you're losing your muscle mass. You put your, the one thing that you were so proud of that you were always flaunting on screen, that amazingly chiseled body, you sacrificed it for a role. I there is something that. to be said for that. Yeah, but, but they love that stuff. You know, know whatever, like a De Niro gained 60 yeah, pounds or whatever. Yeah. Thank, God, thank God Christian Bale did not get nominated for The Machinist. He, see, for The Machinist, yeah. he lost weight. But for he, American Hustle, he gained weight. But see, he and Matthew McConaughey, I still say they both should have been nominated for Reign of Fire. 
I, you, know, you and I are the only ones who love that movie. No, Tim loves it. Really? Yeah, oh yeah. I love Tim, Tim and I saw that together. We just sat there. We were just like, that movie rocks. It's dudes slaying <laughs> dragons, man. Rock on. All right, so okay. uh, we have that. So that's recommended. Uh, Fast and Furious 6. You know what's funny about these oh. movies is that, is that even though they're Another terrible... Another unnecessary death. I know. Well, Paul Walker, that's a whole other situation. But... Um, you know, I, I have to say, surprisingly, even though I don't like these movies, they do sort of know what they are. Yeah. They, they don't really take themselves that seriously. They, they kind of understand that they're a little bit stupid. And you can always really respect a franchise like this that knows its place and can wink at its place. So, you know, I mean, yeah, Fast and Furious 6. Uh, this is an extended edition, which just means more uh, swearing and more driving. And uh, it's a Blu-ray, DVD, and uh, digital uh, HD, HD uh, ultraviolet copy. It's a great-looking um, transfer, I'll tell you that much. And yep. there's a bunch of Blu-ray exclusives uh, on here, as well as regular uh, features that you'll, additional features that you'll see on the regular DVD. Um, deleted scenes and a making of and whatnot. So Fast and Furious 6, uh, you know, I mean, I wouldn't watch it again, but uh, why not? About Time is a film that unfortunately got no traction, and uh, I think it's too bad. Is it Richard Curtis's best film? Not by a long it's shot. It's got a weird premise that it just seems so he, pulled out of his butt. It does, kind of. I mean, Richard, the whole idea of a family where the men can travel back in time, and this guy, you know, in order to get his relationship right, he keeps you know, going back and back in time and doing the thing right over. It's a little gimmicky. Um, Richard Curtis isn't a guy who really should be dabbling in genre. Frankly, uh, it's not his strong suit. I wish he'd sort of stick with the uh, the love actuallys and the you know the four weddings and the funerals. But that being said, I found it totally charming. I mean, it, it the, the acting is lovely and there's wonderful dialogue and it's just it just has a sweetness to it. And uh, I don't care if it doesn't really work. I, I just thought it was it was fine. Deleted scenes, bloopers, some featurettes on here, uh, music video. It's perfectly it's perfectly enjoyable. The Blu-ray has some exclusives. Uh, you know, a little thing all about uh, uh, time travel and, uh, you know, some of the locations in the films and, you know, a little background on Richard Curtis. And I thought it was just all, I, I enjoyed it. It's, it's at least worth a rental. Really? Absolutely. And then Mother of George is a movie that was for a moment on a lot of people's minds for awards. Uh, this is from Oscilloscope. I got to say, I'm, I'm not really on board with this movie. Um, it's directed by Andrew Dosunmu, who's an African immigrant, uh, who is a, a talented filmmaker, but his movies are almost too beautiful. They, they just have this, there's a sheen to the photography where I'm very aware of his lens selections all the time. It just, it's like, well, that's an interesting lens, and that's an interesting composition. He, he tries a little too hard to make it just really picturesque and a little dreamlike. Um, but uh, essentially what's going on here is a, you know, a Nigerian couple living in Brooklyn, and uh, the whole the film starts with their you know very very Nigerian wedding ceremony, and um, it's it is essentially about the cultural pressures that ensue when the woman wants to have a, she wants to conceive a child because you know part of the culture is now you're married you got to have a kid, but she can't seem to conceive. So it gets into all this weird stuff like you know the mother-in-law is urging her to have an affair with the brother-in-law to you know conceive because it'll be the same genes, and it gets very creepy. Uh, from a cultural standpoint, interesting film. Lead performance is just absolutely breathtaking. Um, the actress, whose name I wouldn't even try to pronounce, but it's like Denai Guerrera. That's probably the best I'm going to do. She is magnificent. And Isaac de Bancole, who we've seen in a lot of other things, uh, namely French films, as her husband. Just wonderful. So great acting. Questionable direction. But nonetheless, the director is apparently on to bigger and better things. Andrew Dusunmu has been... Um, He's locked down a couple of big projects. 
couple of big historical projects. So, you know, maybe people are seeing something that I'm not. Well, because you're lame. I uh, guess so. The Unspeakable Act by Dan Sallett is uh, a film that could have gone bad a million different ways, but wound up being kind of interesting. It's about the 17-year-old girl who is in love with her older brother. And, well, like, in love with her older brother. I, and, love, the, I love incest stories. I really do. Exactly. I love them. They're just they're so touching. Incest is best. Yeah. Um, so, but when the brother goes to college, the girl has to, you know, find actual real boys to meet. Yeah. And, uh, you know, she kind of starts to come into her own. So I think this film, again, could have gone bad a hundred different ways, but it was, pretty, it, was, it was well done, takes the subject seriously. It's really all about family and having to kind of break away from your family when you become your own person but still keep your ties to family. And so uh, I liked it. It was original and interesting. I, I'll, I think it was an interesting little rental if you want some like daring kind of indie film uh, action. Unspeakable act. Next, we have a film I didn't like as much called Molly's Theory of Relativity. This is uh, about this woman who's an astronomer and she loses her job and then she doesn't know what to do with her life and on Halloween night she's visited by a bunch of dead relatives. It's sort of like It's a Wonderful Life for an astronomer. Yeah. And it's just very... It's a little... I mean, it's pretty... It's not dark. It's more darkly... It's more of a dark comedy than it is dark, but it's a little too whimsical for its own good. I, 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 it's a little too weird for me. I, it wasn't really my thing. Um, finally, uh, at least on my pile, I have Last Love with the great Michael Caine and uh, way to Clemence Posey. Oh, Cle- Clemence Posey. Mm-hmm. Uh, Michael uh, Caine, uh, who can do no wrong, plays a uh, professor, really a widower. Can, he can do no wrong. He's it's true. Best. Even he really in Jaws best. 3D. He is my favorite. He's like one of my favorite actors of all time. Uh, I love, love. How can you not love Michael Caine? He's amazing. Or it's Michael Caine. Yeah. Damn it. Anyway, he plays a widowed uh, per- uh, professor. He's living in Paris, and he figures he would just run out the clock by himself in Paris, but he meets this uh, young lady, and they sort of, uh, she's a dance instructor, played by Clemence Posey, and uh, they decide that they're going to form a little family together. So it's, it's kind of cute. It's kind of sweet, very bittersweet. Kind of liked it. Interesting. It's always, Michael Caine's always watchable. It also features Gillian Anderson, and Gillian Anderson from The X-Files has crafted this whole second phase of her career doing films overseas. Yep. Which is just bizarre. But she's in that too. It's not bad. All right, finishing off the uh, newish releases, I Am Zozo is a Ouija board horror film. Fill in the blanks. It's like, it's either a haunted house uh, or teenagers on, a, on an outing or a Ouija board horror film. It's just, you, you know what's going to happen. Well, the original Ouija board horror film was produced by uh, the husband of a friend of mine. It was called Witchboard. Yeah. And Witchboard which, 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 was like in the 80s. Which, shh. We're gonna, we're, really? We're, we have Witchboard on Blu-ray today. Really? <laughs> yes, we do. Believe it or not. Anyway, uh, I Am Zozo. It's another one of those. You know, it's like, hey, let's let's play with the Ouija board. Uh-oh. Who's Zozo? And Zozo presents himself in... Jumanji? Eek. Um, you know what? Uh, Step Dogs is one of those silly Stupid movies. Stupid dogs. It should this should have been one of those Disney movies. The the you know the 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 Air Bud buddies, this buddies, Snow buddies. It should have been one of those movies. Basically, they, somebody said, "Hey, let's make a movie with dogs." That's kind of like um, the Brady Bunch with dogs, like two people who get married and then the dogs are part of the same family, and then we'll make them be like the odd couple dogs because they hate each other, and then some burglars will break into the house, and then they get to be the Home Alone dogs. That's exactly what this is. Is it, is it funny? I guess if you're four, if you want to set your four-year-old down in front of the TV. Stupid and, dogs. But otherwise, whatever. Dogs are stupid. Boy Band is about a, um, a bunch of guys who uh, are, are not really boy band types, but they, uh, one of them's a jock, one of them's you know, a former figure skater, the other one's a stoner, 
and uh, by golly, they are going to show you that they can actually be a boy band. And so they form a, the most embarrassing boy band you've ever seen. But it's supposed to be heartwarming. I guess if I were a 16-year-old girl, maybe I'd find it heartwarming. That'd be more crotch-warming. And then um, lastly, this just makes me so sad. I, 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 it just, it's so troubling. Jeremy Irons is in Night Train to Lisbon. Uh, which did not get a theatrical release. This is from Lionsgate. And uh, it's basically about a, uh, a Swiss professor, played by Jeremy Irons, um, who uh, goes to Lisbon to, um, you know, meet a, he's met a woman. And um, it all takes place... It's, it tries to set itself against a historical backdrop of, you know, some Portuguese history. And... I, it, it means to be this kind of grandiose historical melodrama, and uh, unfortunately, it just doesn't. It doesn't work, and it's uh, it's another failed English language attempt by Billy August, who is one of my favorite directors in the world when he's working in Scandinavian languages. But when Billy August does stuff like Pernilla Sense of Snow, uh, or uh, or the, um, the, uh, the 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 South American thing, what was the uh, House of the Spirits? Right. Oh my gosh, why can't he make English language films work? Don't know. But the good news is that Jeremy Still. Irons just landed himself a big role. Yes, he did. Yes, he, yes did. he did. He is he is the new Alfred. Yeah, that's not, not bad. I I guess I'm not sure. I uh, it can't be Michael Caine. I'm not sure I, I like that. that. Really? I'm not sure I like that there, there are many actors who he's could too, be Alfred. He's too patrician to be Alfred. You but know? No, but that's good. Because he's supposed to be. Uh, you know. <gasps> Wade, you're giving me this, aren't you? No, I'm not. You're giving me that, aren't you? No. I don't like no, you anymore. <laughs> Wade, uh, we got two must-buys from uh, Criterion. Yes, we do. As they start, uh, as they start transferring all their DVDs to Blu-ray. Yes. Uh, Jules Dassin's Rafifi. Oh gosh, best opening of any movie ever. It's not just the best opening. It's got a just... classic um, mid-film heist scene. It's pretty much it's so fantastic. I mean, what would you say? 30, 30 minutes or something? Oh, it's, like, it's like twenty minutes. It's like twenty minutes. It's like 20 no minutes. dialogue. It's just it's breathtaking. It's, it's, it's a twenty-minute sequence where these guys break into a uh, break in. It's like a jewel heist, and the actual heist is twenty minutes, no dialogue, and it is absolutely riveting. It's great. It's like the ultimate heist movie. I think it's great. This is uh, I love Jules Dassin. He's a terrific director. Did a lot of good stuff. This is probably his crowning achievement for me. Um, so, although I do love Naked City, but anyway, uh, Rafifi is a must-buy. It's um, it's from 1955. Uh, Criterion, they did a pretty good job on the, um, on the extras, extras, although they, they have done better jobs in the past. Here we only have an uh, interview with Jules Dassin from uh, 2000 and uh, some set design drawings. So they, they, they've done better when it comes to extras, but you know what? It looks really good. I don't know what print they use, but they cleaned it up really nice. And the best part is that the movie's great. So Rafifi from 1955, Jules Dassin, a must-buy. Um, or will personally come through your internet cable and strangle you. The, uh, the other criterion is Jules and Jim, the, uh, the Francois Truffaut classic, of course. Jules and Jim, the, the kind of the original menage a trois movie, or the two guys and a girl movie. Uh, you know what? Jules and Jim is just magnificent. 1962, beautiful black and white, uh, loaded with extras that will just make your head spin, uh, including a... Um, uh, bits from Truffaut's first ever appearance on American television in 1977 with an uh, interview with the uh, New York Film Festival director Richard Rood and excerpts from uh, t- a seminar he gave at the American Film, Fe- uh, Film, Market, uh, Film Institute in 1979. Uh, it's, just, it's just extraordinary. Uh, everything you ever wanted to know about Truffaut is on here along with, of course, the dual format Blu-ray and DVD of the movie, two DVDs and one Blu-ray. 
Uh, it's just great. If you, you know, take whatever Jules and Jim version you have, and there have been a few going all the way back to Wellspring when they came out with one, and just get rid of them. This is all you should have. You can watch it in the car. You can watch it all day long, and you should. It is magnificent. And then uh, wrapping out the foreign language stuff real quickly, uh, the uh, two chapters from the uh, Paradise series by Ulrich Seidel, which I'm not a huge fan of. Our friend Tim is a, is a big fan of this, uh, this trilogy, Paradise Hope and Paradise Faith. Um, you know, it's uh, Seidel meant to sort of make movies about real women and real people and, uh, you know, the, the idea of sort of being set upon in life. And I guess it's not like Kieslowski's Three Colors trilogy. It's not nearly that well worked out. But, there, you know, he's some decent drama and some interesting filmmaking in both of these. So they're from Strand. I, again, I can't fully recommend them because I don't think Seidel is that interesting of a filmmaker. But some people really love the series. And then lastly, a film that I just think is just staggeringly stupid. And I, I just don't know where this came from. Moon Man. Have you ever heard of the book Moon Man? Apparently it's a kid's book that a lot of people love. I have not been a kid for many years. Oh, my gosh. It's just, this is a French film that's in English. Um, and it's just the stupidest animated movie I think I've ever seen in my entire life. This little white guy who, and I mean white, not Caucasian. I mean he's a little white man, all white, who lives in the moon. And he comes down to Earth. And he's, you know, a little fish out of water, and it's really rough animation. And he is, he's, he, the, the, the dictator of the earth needs to find him because he needs to add the moon to his conquests. And, of course, there are people who are helping the moon man out, you know, so that the dictator doesn't win. And the most annoying part of this is that the moon man, the way he talks, moon man, his voice is the most annoying thing in the world. Whoever vo- uh, did his voice, I, I really want to strangle them. It's just it's well, really, so it's irritating. Really, the guy who did the voice was only doing the director's bidding. So irritating. So you should be killing the director. So irritating. I can't even tell you. I, can't, I don't even know where to begin on how irritating it is. Um, uh, talk about some uh, previous releases uh, real quickly. Uh, Twixt came out last year, and we finally got a hold of this. And this is well worth talking about because this was... Uh, not released in theaters and then it was um, completely ignored in, in home release and almost no one realizes that Francis Ford Coppola made another movie one of the greatest filmmakers of all time greatest American filmmaker certainly of the last 50 years and uh, he made a movie based on a dream of his and it uh, went nowhere and it is a little obscure it only has a, uh, a documentary by his uh, one, his other daughter on this, uh, Gia Coppola. Or, there is G, no Gia's um, is G, Gia's his granddaughter, right? I believe so. Yeah. Yeah, he's his granddaughter. So she made a documentary uh, about the film, which is on here, uh, and I think she has a feature coming. Didn't she just cast a feature? Yeah, Star Wars. Yeah, thank you. Whatever. Anyway, uh, <laughs> no, this is, this, is, this is basically a horror film uh, starring Val Kilmer, of all people, who's surprisingly good. But it is, um, it, it's all, you know, Val Kilmer is investigating a murder, and he, you know, he's a writer, and he's, you know, kind of trying to put together source material for his novel. And uh, from there, it just becomes this really, really chilling uh, panoply of, of images and ideas and twists and turns and it doesn't really work as a narrative but as a mood piece it's really extraordinary and presumably based on a, on a dream um, uh, Elle Fanning is terrific in it Bruce Dern not as good as he is in Nebraska but certainly very good and I gotta say as an, as an addition to the, uh, the body of work by Francis Ford Coppola it is absolutely worth uh, checking out I, I thought it was a, a fascinating film 
impossible to market on any level. Uh, so I understand the reluctance, but still, it's a Francis Coppola movie. You really should be able to market it as just Francis Coppola, the director of the frickin' Godfather and Apocalypse Now, and Peggy Sue Got Married in the Cotton Club, has a new movie. Maybe you ought to go see it. But this is part of Coppola's like, late career thing, where he just yeah. wants to do these little movies, just they little go off to a shoot, and that's, that's it. it. Yeah. We said that's it at the same time. Yeah. Uh, a movie I did not like is uh, Barbarian Sound Studio. This is a weird combination. With a of terrible what? commentary on it, by the way. By Wade Major? No. Uh, this is a weird combination of like De Palma's Blowout and Cronenberg, where Toby Jones, who I like, and whose career, speaking of like character actors, you know, Toby Jones, who, who played, also who played, played Capote. Capote yeah. um, Toby Jones plays this uh, sound engineer, and he goes to work on this, uh, this, you know, this horror film, and he winds up getting so transfixed by the movie that he loses his grasp on reality, and it's just... It's just a little. It's, it's. It's. I mean, it's not a hammer thing. I, I wouldn't call this like a hammer psychological thriller, would you? A hammer type thing? Yeah, I wouldn't not I so call much. That. But uh, it just doesn't. It's not that scary. It's a little bit silly, and um, I was not a big fan of this movie. So, uh, but if you like that stuff, go for it. Barbarian Sound Studio. Yeah. Uh, oh, we, oh, you're not give me that, are you? No. What? No. I don't like you. I know. Another Criterion. Starring a man who I saw in an absolutely terrible movie last night, which I can't talk about because it's getting released in, uh, theatrically on Friday, and I have to talk about it, unfortunately. James Caan now makes crap movies. But uh, he once upon a time made movies like Thief, and so did Michael Mann. And this is a dual-format criterion release of the original Thief, which is just sensational from 1981. This is the movie that basically launched Michael Mann uh, as a guy to be reckoned with, you know, and then he went on to really do a handful of movies that, that didn't quite measure up. But he made some good movies afterwards. You know, there's some stuff in there like uh, Last of the Mohicans and... Uh, oh, The Insider? Are you kidding me? Yeah, the, oh, the Insider is the best film he ever made. But Thief really launched everything. Uh, and it is a fascinating film, one of the best performances you'll see from James Caan. And uh, really, really well put together. Audio commentary with, Ma- with uh, Michael Mann and James Caan. Um, uh, interviews with both of them as well as Johannes Schmeling uh, from Tangerine Dream who of course did the amazing music that was just that was when they were doing everything from you know Risky Business to the the score for uh, Legend that replaced the Jerry Goldsmith score mistake but still um, really really a good set uh, DVD and Blu-ray and um, you gotta add that one because Thief is one of the great films of the 80s and then we also have a couple of exploitation films from Scream Factory, which is the Shout Factory uh, uh, genre label. Uh, both of these are relics of the 80s, when you actually had Scream Queens. And one of them, Mark hinted at earlier. And the yeah. other one has the same producer. It's the same company. Yes. Same, same uh, if you look at the uh, credit bed, you'll see Jeffrey Joe Frey is the producer of both. Correct. And the same director of both, Kevin S. Tenney. And uh, the you know which board we mentioned earlier that's the original Ouija board movie, uh, really pretty terrible, but but kind of funny by present standards. And uh, the other one is Night of the Demons, which I all for some reason I just thought it was kind of scary at the time. And watching it again, I thought what was wrong with me? It was 1988. I was an adult. What, I'm serious? Why did I find this scary? And I guess it was just bad makeup. You were stoned. But no, not even close. But bad makeup just really always creeped me out. And part of it was because you know, a friend of mine that I used to work at the theater with went into effects makeup. 
you know, he like he sculpted the gills that Kevin Costner wears in uh, in Waterworld. And so I used to go over to their place, and they'd have just like prosthetic crap lying around, like a dismembered hand with blood and gore hanging out, It'd just be lying on the floor because they'd be, you know, he and his roommates would be practicing all this crap that they'd be doing for these low budget films. So I, I, I guess I developed a phobia against all this stuff. But anyway. Uh, so Night of the Demons and Witchboard are both out there from uh, Scream Factory on Blu-ray. And if you are a, kind of a nostalgia junkie, I guess you'll enjoy them. From the uh, ridiculous to the, to the sublime, we have Angel Share from the great Ken Loach. Ken Loach, of course, the great chronicler of... Uh, of he, he's like the... Um, he, he, he takes like the Guy Ritchie aesthetic yes. and makes it like... Real drama. Yes. You know, like serious movie stuff's going on with Ken Loach. He's a nice guy, too. I've interviewed him. You wouldn't expect him to be that guy. He's very... He's very ve- so, he seems like a gentle kind of a he's guy. He's very soft-spoken, yeah. very self-deprecating. And, you know, he, even though his films are very political, he doesn't really like to talk about politics. No. It's interesting. You'd expect him to be all kind of Oliver Stone. Oh, those damn... But he doesn't. He's, he just doesn't go there. He lets the films kind of speak loudly while he, he speaks softly. It's, it's kind of refreshing. And this is great. The Angel Share is uh, it's, it's a little bit comedic, but it's also a drama... It's about this guy who forms kind of a group with these other miscreants who go coming in and out of jail. And it turns out that this guy has this amazing talent for whiskey tasting. Yep. So they try to steal this cask of very valuable whiskey. And it's fun. I mean, it's a little bit... It's, it's a little, it's a little bit, uh, he's definitely in a prickly move. Like, he's definitely like in... A, he's having a little bit of fun. You know, Ken Loach is not a fun director. No. But he's having a little bit of fun here, and it's kind of nice to see. And I think Angel Share is just terrific. I think Ken Loach is a great director. Uh, this might be a minor film in his canon, but uh, if you want to see his last film, The Wind That Shakes the Barley, uh, that one is very I love, intense. I love Wind That Shakes the Barley. I really do. That's, just a, that's his masterpiece as far as I'm concerned. Uh, before we get into television, uh, just a few more here. Sightseers, movie by Ben Wheatley, which was released earlier last year. Um, Speaking of British filmmakers, Sightseer, Ben Wheatley is a very odd odd guy. Uh, his movies are very dark comedies, and I, I still don't know how I feel about this movie. Because it's basically about this couple who, um, they're just out, you know, on, on a drive in their little, uh, their little kind of, uh, uh, you know, Winnebago deal, right? They're just on a little, out for vacationing. And bit by bit, they start murdering people. And become kind of addicted to it, and it's very, it, it it doesn't really make sense to me on on many levels. Um, I know it's supposed to be funny, but it really creeped me out, and I think it's probably supposed to creep me out. I can only say it's like it's maybe three quarters of the way to Man Bites Dog, but it pushes a lot of the same buttons and um, deeply disturbing. Not on uh, on Blu-ray. This is only on DVD from IFC, and it includes some interviews and a trailer. And the interviews do not illuminate in any way why they made this movie. Some other movies uh, worth mentioning that are uh, on Blu-ray, just real quickly, uh, with some decent extras, actually. Uh, Two Weeks Notice, Hugh Grant and Sandra Bullock. Not a, not a bad romantic comedy in hindsight. Uh, it got really ripped apart at the time, I think, looking back on it. Uh, it's actually kind of charming, and now that Sandra Bullock is, uh, has reinvented her career, uh, you know, she's everyone's hot actress again. Remember, she was kind of off the grid for a moment, and now, after... You know, winning the Oscar a couple of years ago, she's now she and she's she's it. And Gravity this year, are you kidding me? So revisiting uh, this film, it's actually kind of charming, um, not bad at all. And this commentary with the uh, you know branching gags by Sandra Bullock and Hugh Grant and uh, writer director Mark Lawrence. 
And then uh, City of Angels, which uh, it's still kind of the movie I always remembered that it was. Uh, that's got a, you know, a couple of behind-the-scenes documentaries and a couple of commentaries. And it's, it's okay, of course, an, a remake of an American remake of um, Vim Vender's uh, Wings of Desire with more of a plot. Nicolas Cage and Meg Ryan. It's got kind of a romantic angle to it that the Vanders film really didn't play up very, very broadly. But you know, some some good music and of course the um, the Alanis Morissette song, which is great, probably the best thing about it. Uh, Million Dollar Baby, the uh, four Academy Awards, including Best Picture. Uh, Clint Eastwood uh, directed. Um, why, why did this win Best Picture? It, he directed Hilary Swank to her second uh, Oscar for Best Actress. Mm-hmm. Hilary Swank is one of the handful of actress, actresses who's won two Oscars for Best Actress. Does, does that seem right to you? It's just weird to me. I, I mean, it's a really good movie in hindsight, but I'm like, that won Best Picture. Like, Million Dollar Baby won Best Picture. It's very strange, isn't it? Uh, it doesn't seem like. It, it seems like there's like a. Like a gap in the space-time continuum. Somehow that one slipped in. Anyway, it's the uh, it's the tenth. It's the only boxing movie other than Rocky, by the way, to win Best Picture. You realize that? What? I know. It's bizarre. Anyway, tenth anniversary Blu-ray release. You mean uh, Kangaroo Jack about the boxing kangaroo see, didn't win? I'm, uh, I'm telling you, Best Picture. Raging Bull did not. Uh, anyway, a lot of extras on here. Um, really, really good stuff. Uh, you know, mostly featurette stuff. And then there's also a commentary by uh, Albert Ruddy, who's the uh, the producer. Uh, that's very, very good. But uh, you know, I mean, it's it, it it the film holds up. I just don't know that it's it's best picture material. And uh, I'm gonna. You know what? I was not uh, paying attention because you were talking. And I yes. don't pay attention when you talk. But I'm gonna find out what else was nominated that year. Yeah, go ahead. Do that. You do that right now. And then lastly, just want to make mention on the animated front, Despicable Me 2 uh, has been, uh, that was released some weeks ago and has been burning up the charts, and uh, we haven't gotten to it until now, but uh, I will say this, I I was not a fan of the first Despicable Me, I didn't, I missed this film in theaters and was able to catch up with it uh, digitally, and I actually like this one better than the first one. Um, Everybody kind of seems to have settled in to their characters. And they have fun with it, and Steve Carell really has fun with, uh, you know, with the, his his diabolical accent. And the minions crack me up. They are the funniest things I think I've ever seen on film, apart from the Marx Brothers. They just they just slay me. Really? And they they figured out that people love the minions in the first one. They really ramp them up for this one, and it's uh, it is is really good work for uh, the uh, the small upstart Illumination Entertainment uh, Animation House. Really good work. So this is a DVD Blu-ray uh, combo pack. You get a lot of little uh, mini-movies on here, uh, which is basically, you know, shorts and uh, behind-the-scenes stuff. And um, it's good. So Steve Carell is grew. I, I enjoyed it. Shocked that I enjoyed it. Oh, wait, no one cares. You ready? Yeah. This is what was nominated along with Million Dollar Baby. Yes. Not a very good year, actually. Um, the Aviator. Yeah. Which we talked about earlier regarding Kate Blanchett. Finding Neverland, which I loved. Uh, Ray, whatever. Oh, jeez. And Sideways, which is a great film, but it doesn't really smell like an Oscar. See, that's, it was always a process of elimination. It's either The Aviator or Million Dollar Baby. You can't give it a Sideways. That's not an Oscar true. best picture film. It's very true. Ray is fine. Come on. Yeah. Finding Neverland is a wonderful film. I like that film a lot. Yeah. I, I don't know that it, that, it, that was ever going to win best picture. So you're down to the, to the Aviator, which is an Oscar best picture type of film, and Million Dollar Baby, which is Clint Eastwood. I go. wonder if Million Dollar Baby was directed by uh, you know Dennis Dugan, if the no. Aviator would have won. No, it was Million Dollar Baby all the way. Yeah, it, 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 yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, Aviator was never going to do it. A lousy year. This wasn't going to do it. Wow. Johnny Depp, by the way, nominated that year. 
All right. Uh, Mark, let's wrap out with a little bit of television what? here. Uh, I want to make mention of uh, just on, from the, uh, the front of the good people over at uh, Acorn who also run the Athena line. We've got a couple of, uh, a couple of, quite a number of really good stuff here. The Athena titles are, of course, educational titles, and there are some excellent ones here that I finally had a chance to get around to. Uh, I'm a big history buff. Anybody who's listened to this long enough knows, before I was a film major in college, I was a history major. I still love history. And The Dark Ages, An Age of Light from Athena, is just absolutely fantastic. Um, I'm a huge medievalist. I love everything about the Middle Ages and uh, the, you know, the Dark Ages and so forth. And um, the, uh, the guy, Valdemar Janoschak, uh, who was a longtime art critic for the Sunday Times in the UK, um, it basically leads you on a tour of the Dark Ages. And it is wonderful. You get into all you know, the, the, the conflict between East and West and the various arts and this and that and the other thing. It's really, really good. Uh, Secrets of Ancient Egypt, likewise, very, very impressive. Uh, several different um, uh, episodes kind of take you through the, the art and the culture and all, you know, all the mysteries of ancient Egypt. Really, really interesting. Really good. Uh, David Starkey, who does a lot of these things. David Starkey is just uh, he's this amazing Cambridge professor. Um, he takes you through uh, music and monarchy, which is looking at British royal history through music. He's using music as like a historical guide, and uh, it's great. You learn all about, basically, what music belongs to what era, which is fantastic. And, of course, if you're a fan of AbFab, you love Joanna Lumley, and I love Joanna Lumley, and, of course, the new Avengers. You know, she, she was on the last incarnation of the Avengers uh, spy series, and uh, she does Joanna Lumley's Greek Odyssey, which was shown here on uh, PBS. And, uh, you know, it's fantastic. She's just a wonderful tour guide of all of the beauty and the, the, the history and the culture and the art of Greece. And uh, fantastic. Could not be better. So uh, Greece, of course, the cradle of civilization. You realize that, don't you? We all owe Greece a huge debt. Well, Greece is the word. Yes, absolutely. And then lastly, from uh, on the acorn front, a lot of Agatha Christie stuff. Uh, Poirot series 7, 8, 9, and 10. Uh, starring David Suchet, or Suchette, depending on how, if you want to be uh, French or English about it. Uh, all of them on Blu-ray now from Acorn. And uh, I still find him the quintessential Poirot. All apologies owed to... By the way, they're doing Murder on the Orient Express again. I know. Why? I don't know, because it's cool. No, stop that. Don't do that. Stop it. It was done, it's been done several times, and all, they're all fine. We don't need another one. Good grief. Anyway, uh, so these are all terrific. All of them now in the original UK broadcast order. Which is important, because you see him kind of developing the character. Yes, you don't. And then the complete collection of the Agatha Christie Hour, which is uh, ten stories that are all kind of, you know, I mean, some better than others, obviously. They're all kind of second tier for me. Um, I, I read some of these in the uh, their original text form, and, uh, you know, it's all right. I mean, it was aired here on television, and it did all right. And then lastly, the Queen of Crime collection, Agatha Christie's Queen of Crime collection, which is three Agatha Christie mysteries, uh, Sparkling Cyanide, Why Didn't They Ask Evans, and Seven Dials Mystery. These are better, much more nicely done, and uh, highly recommended. Wow, great major, everyone. There you go. All right, a uh, couple TV uh, Blu-rays before we uh, wrap it out. DVDs also. We have the following... This is the Kevin Bacon Fox Show. Uh, he plays a uh, FBI agent who had uh, captured the serial killer back in the day, put him on death row, but he's escaped, Wade. Escaped. And uh, now he's got these, uh, these minions who will do his bidding. And Kevin Bacon has to uh, wade his way through the minions and um, get to the uh, mastermind. 
that he put in jail nine years earlier. Uh, this show was a mild hit. It wasn't a super-duper hit. It was pretty atmospheric. It's Kevin Williamson. He's the guy who did Scream and uh, The Vampire Diaries. So, uh, yeah, it's okay. Uh, 15 episodes, season one, a bunch of special features. Uh, there's a season two of following, of course. Um, starts up soon. S- season seven of uh, Burn Notice. This is the final season of the show. I don't know how this thing went seven, se- uh, seven seasons. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's a, a mystery to me. All, all these USA sh- shows mm-hmm. are just interchangeable and all terrible. In fact, I'm not even going to talk about it. It's stupid. All now, right. finally, Way, the only thing we really care about. Now, yes. wait. Now, do you want to end on that, or do you want to end on this? We'll end on that. I so know, let me I just... Re- we should. I'll make quick mention here. Uh, Treme is out now in the complete series on Blu-ray, which includes a bonus disc, and this has just a, a gigantic ton of uh, music video performances on it. And I, There's sort of no point in going into any elaborate uh, detail on this. If you've seen the series, you know what it is. It's whole carnival-like... Phantasmagoria, uh, the whole uh, New Orleans, you know, mania that is in, in, injected into this uh, constantly. It's now off the air. It's done its run, like all these HBO shows, and you can now get the whole thing in a great big fat gob packed, gob smacked uh, Blu-ray set. And uh, the only people who are going to want this are people who just really, really love the show. Great gift for anybody, but if you didn't love the show, you're not going to love it. And then uh, last on my list is the Star's original The White Queen miniseries, which uh, got ripped to pieces in the reviews. And when I finally got a look at it, you know what? I like it. Doggone it. I really like it. It takes place in the, uh, the mid-15th century. And it is uh, essentially a War of the Roses uh, you know, political intrigue over who's going to actually, you know, rule England. And uh, knowing a little bit about that, you know, between when the House of York and the House of Lancaster had their big battle, it was, you know, sort of the essential British Civil War. I I think this is really interesting history wrapped up in a very, very kind of cool quasi-soap opera, very nicely done. And uh, I think it's cool. The White Queen on uh, on Blu-ray and Ultraviolet. If you want to watch it on your iPad while you're driving, it's a great way to not have an accident. Well, actually, it's a great way because the show is not that diverting. That's right. All right, Wade, we have one more thing to talk about. Yes. And if we don't talk about it now, the show will explode. Mm-hmm. Wade, there used to be a sitcom called Alice. Oh. And Alice starred Linda Lavin. Yep. And, who's, who's a neighbor of mine, by the way, you know? By the way, I, uh, when, I came, uh, when I came up the uh, drive here, yeah. I saw a deer. Well, uh, good. <laughs> I did see a deer. Uh, anyway, so um, there was a bunch of spinoffs of Alice. Actually, there's really only one. Only one. Well, there's Mel's Diner. Yeah. That was a spinoff of Alice, right? Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I, I well, was it Mel's Diner? I thought, was there? There was a Mel's. No. I can't remember. Look that uh, up, Wade. I'll, I'll look it up. Make yourself useful. It yeah. But the one that we love the most is Flo. This thing was in the early 80s, actually 1980 to 1981. It's all about Flo, the sassy, gum-chomping waitress who would tell all the customers to kiss my grits. Mm-hmm. She wound up with her own spinoff, and uh, the show was... Um, well, Alice was based on the... Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore, the 1974 Scorsese film. Yeah, the Scorsese, which yeah. is like like that Alice and the Scorsese Alice, two different types of Alices. I know. It's, it's almost like the, the, the Ron Howard Parenthood and the Parenthood now on NBC. Two different types. No, it was, it was Flo was the only spinoff. Really? Yep. What, there was, look, look up Mel's Diner. Okay. I could have sworn there was a show called Mel's I thought Diner. There was, I thought there was a spinoff with, uh, with, with her son, but... Maybe I was wrong about Steve? that. Yeah, uh, no, the, Mel, uh, the Jimmy, what's Jack, his name? John, the, John, the, the kid, the brother, the, the, Mel, who was, his sister John, was on uh, Star Wars? Stop it. I don't know. No, uh, anyway, uh, Flo Phil, was. Philip McKeon, Nancy McKeon's brother. 
Oh, really? Remember, she was on uh, di different strokes or no, Facts of Life. She was on Facts of Life. Nancy McKeon, remember? She was she was Joe, the Terrible. tough girl, Terrible. the one the one we all loved growing up. Anyway, you didn't, you didn't watch Facts of Life, did you? I, I no, I did actually. Oh. I did. Uh, anyway, the whole the whole idea of this conversation is that flow sucked, yeah. and uh, there was only twenty nine episodes, and they're all on this DVD. A couple good. Um, Guest stars, though. Forrest Tucker from F Troop, uh, James Cromwell, who's yes. done a lot of work, uh, Robert Englund, who played uh, uh, Chucky, one of those mm -hmm. horror guys. And. Uh, he, he, he played Chucky? No. Okay. And uh, Vic Tabak, who played Mel in a show that I thought was called Mel's Diner, but I guess there's no show no. called Mel's Diner. No, no, but Vic Tabak also, let's not forget, piece of the action. Fizzbin. Yeah, it's a, That's right. It's the best. Yeah. Anyway, Flow, the complete series, is now on DVD. Please avoid it. Absolutely. All right, that wraps it out. We will uh, we will be back next week with more fun and frolic. Is that a good out? Is that an outro? Fun, fun and frolic. Fun and frolic await. Oh.